Hello, and uh, welcome to another Mr. Burgess Maths podcast. Um, it's Thursday today. I missed out one yesterday. I suddenly realised, as it was quite late by the time I got home last night, and uh, suddenly realised that I'd not managed to do one. So uh, uh, I thought I'd wait till today, rather than rushing one through. Um, so yeah, so it's been a couple of days, and what a couple of days it's been. It has been glorious and sunny and lovely, and it, the hottest day of the year so far yesterday, which is saying something, because it's been really hot so far. Um, thank goodness, because lockdown is so much easier in the sun. Um, but yeah, it's cool. I've just been sat out in the sun doing a bit of reading and it's just absolutely gorgeous. It's so hot though. It's just so hot. Um, I can't, I'm not complaining in any way, shape or form. I actually quite like it hot. Um, although I did do a big mistake. I thought, because I went on holiday early one in the year. Yeah, I, I know. I'm one of those annoying people who managed to go on holiday before lockdown. Um, so, um, yeah, everyone else, uh, this, yeah, if you've not been on holiday this year, then uh, put your think fingers in the ears. Um, so, yeah, I went to Barbados in February half term. So I mentioned that one. Um, I'm sure most of you have already heard that from me before. Um, and it was it was gorgeous and lovely and sunny and beautiful. Um, but I got sunburnt there. And therefore, normally for me, if I get sunburnt once, I'm, I'm kind of done. Like, as soon as I've gone brown and I, I'm done, like, I put on some foundation, but I, I don't really get affected and don't get burnt really too much. Um, anyway, yesterday I was doing a bit of gardening uh, after I finished working yesterday and uh, I was just outside in the sun and I've got massively burnt on my back. So um, not massively burnt, but definitely red by the time I got home last night. And um, yeah, went in the hot tub for a little bit of stargazing, which I'll come to in a minute. And uh, yeah, got, went for a shower afterwards and looked, <laughs> was like, oh, that's very red. That's very red. So uh, I've had to be a bit more careful today. And uh yeah, make sure I don't get too uh, burnt. But um, yeah, I mean, a good thing is though, my garden is looking really nice now. So I've just dug over the second veg patch, so um, I can start getting a bit more um stuff in. So I've got um some courgettes in, some lettuce in, some more carrots, some more peas. I've got some peppers about to go in. It's, it's very domesticated, very very uh, good life. Um, I've got some uh courge- Why am I saying um all the time as well? When I listen back, I always get annoyed with myself about doing this. Uh, I've got some aubergines as well. Uh, ready to plant which will be i'm just going for the posh veg basically so romano peppers aubergines courgettes anything that's exotic and if it carries on like this at the sun outside then i'm going to be quids in i'm going to be uh yeah really in it uh for a good crop but uh if it doesn't and it goes really wet then uh it's all going to be a bit of a waste of time so let's hope like let's really hope for a uh good crop uh I've grown carrots for the first time. Now, the reason I'm growing these carrots is literally because it's like the brand that it's called. It's called Harlequin F1. So I'm like, it's got a Harlequin in the name. I'm going to have a go. It's because they've got different coloured carrots. Apparently, each one's supposed to taste different. Um, so I've got, got variety of coloured carrots coming, um, if they grow. Um, but I've never grown carrots before, so this will be an interesting experience. An interesting experiment. So uh, that's quite fun. And then last night, yeah, I sat, uh, well, I went out for a picnic, met up with a friend um, for a picnic, um, socially distanced, obviously, um, and uh, took my dinner down. So I did a quick barbecue and wrapped it all up in tinfoil and walked down to the park, got out picnic rug and stuff and just laid out in the sun and caught up and had a good chat, um, which was lovely. So, um, yeah, that was really nice. 
So by the time I got home, I jumped in the hot tub because the International Space Station was flying over last night. Um, it was a really bright pass. So I was like, okay, I'll give this a go. It was going over at five past ten or four minutes past ten, actually. Uh, I should, you know, be a bit more precise uh, from ten degrees west-southwest to ten degrees east. Um, so I uh, decided that I didn't fancy just standing outside. Um, and my neighbours, last time I went out to go and watch something, just switched on a, a light uh, outside to call their cat in and just left it on. So I was like, brilliant, my eyes can't see anything now. So I decided that, no, I, I might as well sit in the hot tub. So uh, I sat in the hot tub last night till, whilst it was going dark and uh, for about an hour and then watched the ISS go over, which was really nice. And it was amazing. It was um, a bit lower than I thought it was going to be. It looked lower, which is weird. Um, so it kind of looked um, like a big plane, really, but it was... Uh, really bright and much brighter than I've ever seen before from it um, so uh, if you get a chance to watch it apparently on the 25th um, I don't know what time it is but I need to look up the time so my sister was texting me to say uh, that yes it's going back over again um, but uh, when it goes back over the next time it's going to have um, the supply vessel um, following it trailing it catching up with it so uh, I'm going to definitely watch that out on the 25th so uh, there you go time to look out for iss going over um it's really exciting and i just saw some stars coming out and stuff it's beautiful um so yeah that was how i spent my evening last night um staring at stars and satellites and stuff saw another satellite go over actually about 10 minutes before as well but it wasn't as bright obviously uh so uh yeah it's really good i'm just dropping everything as well right um so today um we're gonna we're getting quite up to date really and uh, in our journey of maths as it's gone through the centuries. So if we think right back from the very beginning, we were counting on our fingers and toes, and now we're up to um, another mathematician called Alan Turing. Um, so we're coming right up to the 20th century. Um, we will get to the 21st, don't worry, we're getting there. Um, so right up to the middle of the 20th century. Um, and so uh, Alan Turing, we've all heard the story, um, we've all seen the movie probably, um, The Enigma Code, um, and... It's a very good movie, by the way. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is very good. I think it's called The Enigma Code. Anyway, the one with Benedict Cumberbatch in it um, is very, very good. Re highly recommended. Um, and uh, so, Alan Turing. And why is he important? Because obviously he's a computer scientist. Like He's viewed as a computing guy, really. But actually, he's not. He's a mathematician. And he studied maths at university. Um, and whilst he was studying for his PhD at Princeton University, he then got recruited to Bletchley Park. Uh, the start of the Second World War, um, and so became uh, top secret, um, and was at Bletchley Park, the secret place where we were trying to break the Enigma Code uh, during the Second World War. Now, he'd kind of been working as a mathematician for a while, and so he'd come up with a, an idea called the Turing machine. Now, the Turing machine was a computer that had an infinite memory and had, could do an infinite number of calculations. So it's a real idealized computer. And he'd come up with this idea uh, as an electronic computer to try and solve uh, a problem that David Hilbert had uh, actually come up with. Um, so he'd actually come up with um, a problem, and uh, it's called, it's in German. Here we go. Uh, it was called the Einstein problem. Einstein problem. There we go. I have no idea. That's probably masticating the. Uh, Creating, oh, I can't even speak now. Um, just terrible, terrible German. So apologies to if you're the person listening in Hamburg. Um, 
So please get in touch on hashtag Mr. Badgers Maths on Twitter and tell me how I should say it. Um, and so David Hilbert came up with this problem about whether or not you could create a machine that could answer any question just by true or false. Um, so a series of true or false problems, um, could you answer any problem that you could ever feed it? Could math solve problem solving, basically? And um, Turing basically proved that you couldn't. And, uh, and the Turing machine would either produce an answer or just carry on calculating forever and ever and ever and ever um, and still never come to an answer. And so he kind of had proven that bit. Now, because of this work, though, he started to then work on uh, uh, electrical kind of ideas, electric, electric mechanical kind of um, computers, really. And that's where he produced uh, the bomb. Now, the bomb with an E, uh, which was the com uh, computer that uh, cracked the Enigma code. So if you go to Fletcher Park, you can actually see a replica of it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's an amazing thing that you kind of tried to... It was all about trying to create ciphers. And so if you put certain inputs into it, each day they would try and crack what the Enigma code could possibly be. And it would um, try and work through a series of all the different possibilities that could possibly happen now they tried to create uh, they realized that um, certain things you could discount so for example a q could was probably not coded as a q um, and so an a was not coded as an a and therefore the enigma machine wouldn't do that so therefore you could discount lots of lots of uh, different systems that you could possibly have on the enigma um, and also they started to work on what's called a crib. So they worked out what the possibilities of the start of the message could possibly be. Um, and that gave the computer some uh, pre-knowledge, which then meant that it could potentially crack it much much better. Okay, um, And he also came up with what's called the Turing test. And that's to tell whether or not a computer is intelligent. Now, this is kind of the forefront of what we're up to now, our artificial intelligence. Um, and to know whether or not a computer is intelligent or not. And it, the Turing test is really simple. It's whether or not you can fool a human into thinking that the computer is human. Now, we do this loads now. We've got chatbots and things like that that actually can reply whether, uh, and can fool you that, that it's actually a human there, but actually it's actually a computer. And that's shown that actually computing is starting to become more and more intelligent. And this artificial intelligent idea, intelligence idea kind of starting to kick off much more. But this was you know, way back in the 40s, and this idea of artificial intelligence that he started to work on. Now, unfortunately, he died much uh, far too young. He, um, but that's a whole other story. Watch the movie. Uh, probably explain it a lot more. Um, and... But he's also worked on what we now know as chaos theory. Now, chaos theory, um, we're going to come to in a minute, but chaos theory is that some things don't necessarily work in the way that we would expect all the time. There's no kind of natural kind of equation that works for them as yet. Um, and so therefore, things like uh, how a water moves, in, we can start to map it out really easily on a, in a slow-moving liquid. But as soon as it becomes much faster we kind of can't map it out as much. And then you put an obstacle in the way. And if you do this, like think about how a river flows. 
Um, and you can probably map that out quite well. But you stick a stick in it, and it you get all these weird currents that start to move around it, and all these other things. And it's not necessarily easy equations to be able to solve this. And actually, a lot of the time, we don't have equations for it. We end up in what's called chaos theory. And so therefore, we've got to look at different possibilities that could possibly happen, especially as it gets faster and faster. Um, and that's where kind of maths is starting to work even today. So one of those places that we see chaos theory all the time is the weather. And on a glorious sunny day like today, it's really nice. But this morning's forecast was has changed constantly as I've gone through the week. So yesterday I was conscious that I needed to get some plants in because I thought it was going to rain today. Um, and I thought it was going to be a thunder and lightning storms all day because that was what the weather forecast was going to be. Um, instead, it hasn't rained today. It's been glorious sunny at, at sunshine and it's been way too hot outside. Um, and that is kind of, a, even within, within a day to go, um, the weather forecast was actually wrong. And so it's all based upon probability and about how the chances that things can happen. Um, and this is down to chaos theory. And so uh, one of those things, people who worked on this, um, is a guy called Lorenz. Now, Lorenz came up with what many of you probably have heard of is called the butterfly effect. And now the butterfly effect is just a simple way to say that if you got put in a set into a computer, a set of things that could of starting points and you see what could possibly happen. There's a vast variety of things that could happen. But if you change one thing by a very small amount, then the outcomes you get change massively. And so the idea was, was could a butterfly flapping its wings, this is where the butterfly effect comes from, could a butterfly flapping its wings somewhere may cause a hurricane to happen somewhere else? And actually, sort of it can. Because the small input from the butterfly changing the wind in one place, a very small, tiny change can lead to a bigger change in terms of what we're predicting to happen. This probably doesn't cause the hurricane, but it just predicts that causes the change in the predictions of what could possibly happen. And it's why weather forecasting is still a challenge today. That only a couple of days away you can probably get to is very accurate. Um, so you can't really get more than four days maximum away and get any kind of prediction so when you see kind of some of these long-range forecasts in the newspaper where they're predicting like it's classic um certain types of newspapers i won't know names um but there's definitely a few that will produce a headline in november with a date of what day it's going to snow in february i can tell you now they're wrong like every single year they're wrong because They've got no idea. Like the long-range forecast cannot be that accurate because small, minuscule changes could change that date dramatically. It could push it like by a month. Could mean there's no snow whatsoever. Could mean there's a heat wave in February. You know, we've had that before. Um, so <laughs> when it's supposed to be snowing, according to them. Um, so they, they, it's never particularly known. And this is where chaos theory is important. And the reason why this links together with Alan Turing is that it's down to mathematical modelling. So mathematical modelling is a way that we can try and justify kind of what our predictions are based upon what we've done. So we can look at um, what's happened prior to this and we can start to therefore predict what's ahead. And we can create a model that can look at different outcomes based upon different inputs. 
And a big supercomputer can therefore do lots and lots of, uh, of this modeling, change, lo change all the different things that could possibly happen and do it lots and lots of times. And it's called an iterative process. So you take one thing and you put it through a computer and see something else. And then you put that back through and back through and back through and back through and back through, and back through until you get kind of uh, different answers. And this iteration, this mathematical modeling kind of cha can change kind of dramatically what can possibly happen. Now, without computers, it would be really hard calculations to be able to actually do. So it would take a long, long time to be able to do it. And mathematicians have always been a little bit snooty, a little bit up until uh, fairly recently about kind of computers doing all the work. And actually, mathematicians are now fully on board with computers and doing it. But it's only relatively recently. So one of those places where mathematicians are a little bit snooty about how you can prove things um, is um, what was called the four-colour problem. Now, the four-colour problem, I love this, okay, uh, is because it's a bit of geography as well, which I love geography as well. Um, so the four-colour problem is a problem where if you've got a map, how many colours do you need to use to colour it in so that two places that border each other are not in the same colour? Now, you think you're probably going to need loads and loads of colours. So think about the world map of all the different countries. How many colours would you need to be able to colour it all in so that the countries that border each other uh, aren't the same colour. Now, there's a couple of kind of key points to this. Uh, one problem is, is that each uh, block of a country is um, its own independent country, so you don't, it doesn't relate to anything. So any oblasts are kind of uh, discounted um, and they become a bit of a problem. The most famous one of these is uh, Kaliningrad uh, in Russia, which is a uh, uh, oblast, um, so a bit that's separate from the main country in um, Lithuania, uh, borders Lithuania and Poland. Why is that so famous? Because Kaliningrad is just the uh, Russian name for Koenigsberg, which is, going back to episode one, Koenigsberg is the place where Euler created his bridge problem, uh, had the bridge problem and created the whole net uh, network of net, uh, maps. Um, so, yeah, so that creates a bit of a problem. But we also know uh, have to discount anyone's places that uh, meet at a corner. So if they meet, just touch each other in a corner, then they can be the same colour as each other. So it's only countries or counties or states that border each other that don't count. Okay, so if they have, a so, you know, like Surrey and Hampshire, that would count. Yeah, whereas uh, places that only touch in one specific point um, don't count. Okay, and why? Where does this come from? So it comes. Uh, we end up with um, being able to make it in using Euler's kind of ideas to make it into a graph. So you put a point in every place, and you join up a line with each one that borders each other, and that starts to create like a network. Now the problem was is that uh, they came up with this idea, um, and uh, it was uh, come up with by a guy called Francis Guthrie. Um, whilst he was shading maps of the English counties. And uh, he came up with all this idea and realised that he only needed four colours to be able to do it. And this became the four-colour conjecture. And so they came up with this, but couldn't prove it. And they couldn't prove it, and they couldn't prove it, and couldn't prove it. And so it came down to, really, exhaustion. So kind of proving that every single map, every single graph could be done using four colours. Um, and so they started to work on it. 
Um, and what they discovered was um, that most um, maps and graphs could be coloured in three colours. Um, and so there was only two maps that they could work out that needed four colours. So a serving mathematician called Danilo, Danilo Blaznusa um, discovered um, two maps that were known as uh, that needed four colours. Um, and these are called snarks. So these snarks, um, you need a minimum of four. Okay. Now, uh, we, or needed a minimum of four or more colours. Um, and so what they needed to do is prove that you didn't need five for any of them. And so you needed to know how many snarks there could possibly be and prove that all of those could be done in four. Does that make sense so far? So it's proven that actually all most maps can uh, only need three colours, but he's got some snarks, which are going to need four more colours. If you can find all the possible snarks, then and they can all be done in four, then you've proven the four-colour problem. Now, this led to a bit of a problem, because how on earth are you going to find all the different possible maps that could ever exist and prove that they could be done in four? Well, this is where computers come in. And so two uh, American uh, mathematicians, uh, two researchers in the 1970s, uh, so-called Kenneth Appel and Wolfgang Hacken um, came up with uh, a solution to this. And so they used the computer to um, produce uh, 1,936 possible situations where you need four colours. Um, and so they were the snarks. And they were the only things that could possibly happen. So they reduced the kind of the number of possible graphs down to these 1,936 using a computer. And it, all of the other ones can be reduced to this problem. And so these standard ones, there was no counterexamples where they needed any four, uh, more than four. So none of these 1,936 needed five. And therefore, it was proven the four-colour the four color conjecture, the four-colour problem, became the four-colour theorem. Now, why did mathematicians take a bit of bridge to that? Well, it's a long proof, because you've got to prove all 1,936, plus you've got to prove that there's only 1,936. So therefore, you're doing it by what's called exhaustion. And you're going through every single problem and everything that possibly could happen to prove something. And it's not a very beautiful proof. It's not kind of a beautiful proof that's building on something else. You're just basically proving it by hitting your head against a brick wall and eventually getting your head through. Um, and that's why mathematicians didn't really like it too much. Um, but we started to come to accept it because certain things we can't actually get the maths involved without using a computer to just, just disprove it and prove that there's no exceptions. So it's proved that there's no counterexample. Um, and that's where we're up to, really. So um, that's a bit of uh, about the four-colour problem, a bit of chaos theory. Um, now, chaos theory goes um, much deeper um, and goes on much, much more. If you've ever watched Big Bang Theory, there's loads on chaos theory on there. Um, but there's, it's one of those things that's really at the forefront of mathematics still today. And it's all about how we can model things that could possibly happen. So uh, how we can model, say, uh, populations of different animals how we can because uh, it doesn't fo necessarily follow an exact mathematical model but we can start as a mathematical model there 
how can we uh, spot the flow of people um, moving out of a football stadium or a rugby stadium? How can we model kind of how floods kind of work across um, different paths? Again, chaos theory. But even more so, like, how do we model a pandemic? How do we model kind of how people, how a virus transmits between people? Because it's chaos theory. It's not necessarily uh, got a nice mathematical model. Um, it's definitely not as the Prime Minister's uh, formula he put up the other day, um, which he called an equation, but don't get me started on that one. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, that annoyed me. Um, an equation and a formula are separate things. Um, and uh, how do you produce this R number? Well, it's done through um, mathematical modelling. and It's done through using statistics to try and ma mathematically model what's possibly going on out in the whole country. And that's where mathematicians still are going today. Um, so next pod, we're going to look at um, another kind of new branch of mathematics. So a branch which is really kind of modern, new, not really been discovered much about where maths is going to go from here on in um, before we hit half term. So uh, we're going to look at fractals tomorrow. So I uh, hope you are all doing well. I'm off to go and try and go for a walk or a run. It's a bit hot, so I'm thinking it might be a walk rather than a run. I think I might just absolutely keel over if it's going to be a run. Um, and I uh, hope you're doing really well and catch up with you tomorrow. Bye-bye. <laughs>